Big Gym Show is sponsored by Maul and Brawl. Maul and Brawl is the best men's skin and beard care products on the market right now. Maybe. How do I know? Because it's mine. 100% owned by me. Tried and tested by me. Whether you've been mauling in the office or brawling in your bed, Maul and Brawl is for you. We've got a shower gel which is scented dark honey and tobacco. The moisturiser has a scent of ivory musk and the beard oil will make your beard feel smooth and silky and smelling like whiskey. It comes in three packages. The Simple Man, which is the shower gel. The Modern Man, which is the shower gel and the moisturiser. Or the Caveman, which is the shower gel, moisturiser and beard oil. To order, go to maulandbrawl.com and type in the code BIGGYM10 for 10% off. Maul and Brawl. For men. That maul. Jim is wearing his heels. So I think tomorrow is the anniversary of being named the most hated item of swimwear in the UK, which is like an enormous badge of <laughs> honour. While most swimwear brands focused on swimming, we've become a swimwear brand that's focused almost exclusively on sports that don't have anything to do with the water. I was rattled, Jim. Like, I was fucking, I was fucking rattled. My mum is sort of my accountant, and dad sat us down, and they're like, "Mate, if this keeps going, you're gonna, you're gonna lose, you're gonna be down a million dollars." We got an order from the royal family for Christmas, and he goes, "Oh, mate, it's the royal, it's the royal family. We didn't charge them anything." So, what the? I thought, mate, have you seen their houses? On this episode, I'm joined by Chief Smuggler, a good friend of mine, a brilliant business, been built by brilliant people. It's the powerful Adam Linford. It's brilliant to have you. Let's do a little intro for the millions that are listening. Some might be watching. Give them a wave on there. You can watch this as well on YouTube. Have a look at yourself. Lenny looks amazing. So Adam Linford, CEO (laughs) Owner. What is it? CEO of Budgie Smuggler. I, I, uh, I what, go with Chief Smuggler. Chief Smuggler there is the go. one on the email. So he's in the studio today. And if you could see him, he looks a million dollars because you've got the chili shirt on. That's it. It's lovely. Have you got your smugglers on? Uh, I've got the underwear on. All right. Yeah. So it's not just, I'm not going to say the S word. It's not just spe- Speedo not- style swimwear. Yeah, yeah, speedo yeah. Or smuggler style swimwear. Smuggler. How yeah. much do you hate the Speedo? Or is that a good thing? No, no, no. Like I think um, one of our goals at Budgie Smuggler is to replace the word Speedo in the English language. Um, so we, we get plenty of mentions as uh, as in the press and stuff as them being Budgie Smugglers instead of Speedos. So chipping away at it, yeah. The tide is turning though with that terminology, isn't it? As in more people are using... But I don't know where the turn came. Maybe Mike Tyndall in the jungle from a UK perspective. Yeah. Wearing his budgies. I don't know whether he put people right. Well, they, I think some of the celebs, if you call them celebrities, were saying, <laughs> are they budgies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, we actually, so I think tomorrow is the anniversary of being named the most hated item of swimwear in the UK, which is like an enormous badge of <laughs> honour. We are... We beat Crocs, which I actually like as well, <laughs> and um, and turtlenecks. So they were the uh, they were the top three, and when we won by by a country mile, and then shortly after that we made the Oxford English Dictionary, 
alongside the words glamping and wedding tackle. It's a big year. Let's go. That, I mean, it's a great thing. But who is voting against budgie smugglers in the UK? I t- can tell you who. Men that can't fill them, either front <laughs> or back, because they are, and this is a cultural thing, and chatting to Matt Hansen, who was in the studio just before you, like, his biggest, he wears them, yeah. like, or, like a lot of the rugby players do, and he just said his biggest worry is that he doesn't fill the front, but he's happy he can fill the back, he's got a decent <laughs> arse on him, he's quick, he's powerful, he's like a racehorse, isn't he, without the... Well, without one, the, the extra arm, but, one out of the t- one out of two is not bad. But you need to be a certain shape. I know you've gone down this route of the ordinary rig, which is where my partner in crime linked in with Budgie Smuggler, yeah, Andrew Good. But it takes a special kind of man to fill a pair of Budgie Smugglers properly. No, or are we is this the whole idea that it's for any man I or think woman? I know we've got the the women's range as well. That's it. So. When we thought about it at the beginning, like it was probably similar to, you know, we thought of it a little bit as a swimwear brand and for people who who were swimming. And our original um, focus for the brand was just to get loose in them. So, because it's hard to photograph swimwear in a, in a pool. And then we went to try and sell it like into pools and it was super competitive. You've got Speedo, Arena, all these companies that are, that uh that own that space and if you go and talk to a swimmer you're no chance they have all the best talent wrapped up and that's sort of where i learned i think the most important lesson in in business and this is important for people who um, particularly from a sporting background are told like you've got to compete you've you know compete at the breakdown compete at the you know you're competing everywhere Um, but the first rule in, in business that i kind of picked up was was don't compete competition is bad and so while most swimwear brands focused on swimming, we've become a swimwear brand that's focused almost exclusively on sports that don't have anything to do with the water. Um, <laughs> so and it wasn't like that light bulb just came off. We tried to do the swimming thing and it was like, fuck, this is just too hard. <laughs> so tools down. What else do we know or like? And, uh, you know, rugby was probably one of the sports or the sport rugby union and rugby league in Australia that were at the the forefront of it and now it's like cricket formula 1 it's got a following like it's 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 sort of growing um grown from there and then for me like budgie smuggler so it actually started a couple of years before me there was a bloke called Lockie Harris um who started it and the theory behind the brand was just to get loose in it like just get loose and i was traveling through Mexico and I saw these two guys wearing a pair and I got chatting with them. And then when I came back to Australia, I started to help Lockie. This is like 15, 16 years ago. And then, so I was helping out doing the odd thing with Budgie Smuggler. I was just a fan, just a fan of the brand. And I was working at a bank at a time. I had a job at a year at a bank. I was terrible. I hated it. Just used to spend the whole, there'll be some people listening to this who work at like a big corporate company. And I kind of thought like, Working for a big company was the the safe pathway and, you know, to earning decent cash and that sort of thing. So I worked at one of the big major banks in Australia during the GFC and uh, they were firing like whole floors of people at a time. And I both hated my job and would just stare out. I was such a bad employee. Like the poor boss had to check my work all the time. I lost two and a half million dollars of people's money one day. Like, I was shocking. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good honesty, though. And I didn't, and I didn't want to be there. Like I was, it was, it was nine to five, luckily, and I was in at nine, out at five. And the the big the big moment for me was um, when they just started firing. Um, I think one day five thousand people got fired. And so working at a big place that always been sold to me as like, this is the the safe thing you can do. It's a good, solid option. And then I see whole floors of people getting fired and I was like, hang on a second. Like, this is actually the most dangerous place you can be because these people, most of them were in their 40s and 50s. And then me, who was hopeless, I was getting promoted all the time because I was the cheapest employee there. I just got out of uni. So... Um, I made a call at that time, like, I need to do something else with my life. This is not going to work. And so I uh, started looking for things and, and Budgie Smuggler popped up and also working with the Indigenous Mentoring Program. Sort of two very different two very different things. But, yeah, Lockie was looking to, to sell. It's a crazy story looking back, but he got a job working for a guy called Kevin Rudd who came from like nowhere to become the prime minister in 2007. And Lockie came up with like the marketing for it, like Kevin 07. <laughs> and <laughs> this is- Of where? Like, of what country? Australia. No Australia. way. Yeah. So he was like 27, like I was 20, maybe he's 28, 29. I was 23 or something. And so- How's he packaged it? Um, well, so he's gone- <laughs> Would you like to sell buy a loss making business, um, selling budgie smugglers um, in a world where people are wearing board shorts past the knees? And I was like, I'm fucking keen. And then there was a couple of other guys who were with me. And then he wanted um, he wanted more money than any of us could afford at the time. And so fast forward six months, and I've been saving money for this or like another business, like just something to do to break out of the out of the like having a normal job and uh he had to go for a meeting to meet with barack obama and the un and it was in like a few days time and his cousin a guy dave grossman who was running it for him was going away as well and he just called me one morning in manly i was hung over and he said mate I, I need to shift this thing like fast can you give us an answer today and i was like oh, fuck i don't know if i can get the money but let me give us a give us a shot managed to pull together the the promise of the cash. And it wasn't like totally crazy amount, but it was over a year's salary for me um, at the time towards sort of a hundred grand Aussie for a business that was turning over like 40,000, I think, and was losing like five or 10. So it wasn't like a no brainer. Yeah. And then like an hour and a half later, the stock turned up at my house. It was about two or 300 pairs, uh, a password written on a piece of paper for how to log into the website. And like, just a tap on the back, good luck, son. And yeah, we didn't like do any paperwork, anything, not even by email, I don't think. It was just like, we'll sort it out when I'm back from, um, back from the UN. So yeah, we, we sorted that out um, a couple of weeks later. And here we are like 15 years, 15 years later, like I, I thought it would take off quickly and I, I was pretty wrong. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note, on a side note, where's Lockie? Lockie's doing well. Yeah, yeah. No, Lockie's um Lockie's had a really good career. I saw him in the paper the other day, bought a house for eight and a half million or something. So oh, he's doing all right. I think he's um 
I, I think he's going. Um, he's going all right. He's a he's a really sharp mind. Uh, still, he but he's he's sort of in and out of businesses. Like he's always like, you know, in for three, four, five years. That that's his sort of cycle. Um, and I saw him when I was at a lunch. He was talking out the other day, and um, he was saying like, "How do you do it for fifteen years?" Like he's like, "You're like his parents have a business in Australia called Harris Farm Markets. It's like it's it's a massive." supermarket chain he's like they've done it for 40 years how do you keep doing the the same thing but for me there's been an evolution from like it was in my bedroom for seven or so years so like then we got an office you know what i mean i was, I was in the office the one in london or not the one in australia the one in, well then we got one in, in australia yeah and then we got one in the uk and now we're just setting one up in france so like for me it's been um the first eight years actually i had another full-time full-time job so i find it interesting when or not interesting but for people out there who, who might be listening who have like started a side hustle and you're trying to get ahead and you're like it's taking so long it's taking so long i'm like how long have you been at it and they're like six months i'm like fuck <laughs> you know like I, I i ran this from from my bedroom for for seven eight years before we got an office and i thought like whoa we've when i had to move out of my bedroom that became the office i was like whoa We've made it, and that was like 20, 2016, I think. So, um, yeah, it was like eight or nine years to to make a profit, and all the money that I made from my job, I just kept pumping into budgie, pumping into budgie, and we never had a year that grew more than a hundred percent, but we never had one less than than thirty percent for that for that ten year period. So, it was kind of just like steady, but. You know, if you're doing 50% growth, you know, you're you're doubling every two, three years, you know, you're four or five, like it, it, it takes off very steeply. So part of it I knew was just sort of hanging in there, chipping away. Such a cool brand. <laughs> it, it is. And I've, and I've been a part of the journey for a few years. Some of the activations we've done with the Rugby Pod hosted – on the boat a few the, years ago. The original uh, UK's most ordinary rig. Exactly. Yeah. The UK's most ordinary rig. I mean, actually, it's genius when you think about it. And I hosted that on a boat on the Thames in a pair of budgies, but I had my suit over the top and I was like, no, I can't. I can't. It's minus 35 here in London today. <laughs> I've not done any glute exercises. For whatever reason, they're not fitting me amazing. And you're like, well, this is the whole thing because it's like they're meant to be ordinary for ordinary people. You could sell it, and obviously Goody was there as well, and he could definitely sell it. Yeah. 15 pints later, we're both knocking about <laughs> on the boat, off our rockers in some budgie smugglers for what was a brilliant event that you put on. But actually, for all the jokes and the lols around it, yeah. a genius bit of marketing, because when you look at speed, it, 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 it's changed now. My goodness me, let's not talk about... When you look at... Brands that emulate budgie smuggler style swimwear. Yeah. Well, I was going to go more down now in terms of looking what brands do, like Adidas and all these, what how they're marketing their stuff. But back in the day, mm. when you look at Calvin Klein, Speedos, and you look at all them things, it was shredded human beings who were in phenomenal shape that yeah. only 1% of the population looked like. So yeah. how do you appeal to the masses when, especially in the UK, where the weather is miserable, most people feel the minus 35 degree heat. They're not in great shape. Yeah. They don't do m many glute exercises. No. Nah. So in a pair of budgies, they ain't looking a million dollars. Yeah. Like they would hope. And so I, th I, I thought it was great. I thought I, that bit of marketing was really cool. I think from our end, like we're trying to build something 
like that when you put it on, you feel good. And so we mean that like both in the literal sense. And so a reason why a lot of players and that wear it is like the product feels good. If you've got good marketing, people will buy something once, but you have to have a good product for people to to come back and wear it again and again. So that was that's one part of it, that literally feeling good. We want you to feel good about the brand, that we look after the environment and things like that. And then also to feel good within yourself. And the sort of start of the Ordinary Rig campaign was around sort of body image, I guess. It was sort of, I think the first one in Australia was in 2016. So Instagram was becoming a big thing. And we had these kids come in from Penrith in Western Sydney, like working class area, rat's tails, and they were about to go to schoolies, which is like the big piss up when you finish school in high school in Australia. And I heard one of the kids go, oh, yeah, Matt, we're getting so ripped for schoolies. I was like, whoa, like that's changed a lot since I finished school because there was no consideration about going to the gym to get um, to get shredded <laughs> before you went away and finished high school. And so obviously like male body image had become probably followed in the footsteps of what women have been dealing with for a, for a very long time. So we wanted to do something to, to counter that. And uh, at the same time, the Victoria's Secret Parade was like huge and that was just like way over the top. So my brother and I, we debate over who came up with the, with the concept, but we wanted to do something to sort of make fun of the Victoria's Secret campaign and that impossible idea of uh, beauty. And so we came up with a Miss World style pageant, which was Search for Australia and then the UK's most ordinary rig. So all the contestants had to make their own wings. The winner in the UK was... Uh, a uh, guy called Chris Steele, and he made these giant steel wings. They weighed like 50 kilos. So um, there's a bit of creative expression and stuff for, from the guys. But, yeah, if we were, if the only people who were going to wear budgie smugglers as well were that Calvin Klein, um, and that's how most swimwear was marketed then, we weren't going to have a business to, to survive, and, and I needed to survive. So <laughs> You hit the sweet spot. And engaging the rugby teams, was that – by fault or design or was are you from a rugby background or was it a kind of an organic approach because in rugby that was I'd say that has been part of the foundations of the company and we've seen it branch into Luke and Tom Stoltman one of the world's strongest men and his brother yep. sorry Luke you're more than just his brother you're an absolute legend <laughs> as well but you know what I mean they but are legends it yeah. has and it's branched out into Formula One as well but let's just start with the rugby yeah side of it like was that by fault or design? Yeah, so I played like footy growing up, but when I was about 20, I realized no one was going to pay me to do it. I dislocated my shoulder and I ran the profit and loss on it. And I was like, uh, this isn't looking good. So I was out of the out of the game pretty early. But some of the guys that I played with um, became, you know, wallabies. And, um, and so, yeah, they were some of the first guys that I got the product to. And I kind of jolted on me that a lot of blokes would wear – Budgie smuggler style swimwear when they were when they were playing. There's a funny story actually. I remember um, it was like 2009, and Berwick Barnes used to be uh, the ten for for the Wallabies Australia, in yeah. Queensland. His manager said like Berwick loves the product. Um, could we meet in in town to see if you know you might be able to sponsor him? And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And he sort of asked a couple of questions about the the brand. And he's like, you know, you, you, we could do something for as little as like $10,000. $10, and I think he just saw my face just go like, it's like, you okay? Man? I was like, 
I got to think that. I'm so sorry. And I just remember I could barely afford I was running late, so I had to get a taxi from Redfern to to the meeting, which was like fifteen minutes, and it was like seventeen dollars. I was like, fuck, I could barely afford um I could barely afford the taxi. I'm like, that's stuck. I'm like, oh mate, I don't think that's gonna be possible. And he said, Oh, like, how much are you turning over? And I was like, about a year in. So we'd gone from like forty to sixty thousand. I'm like, sixty grand. He was like, Oh, okay, mate, just get us a couple of pairs and we'll we'll worry about it when you're a, you're a bit bigger. And then yeah, I was really fortunate that Barrick and a lot of those um Wallaby players, quite a lot of um rugby league players as well started to started to wear it and just got a kind of mind of it its own. And like in those early days, we we were actually selling more like the orders each day, there was more for it to professional rugby league and rugby union players than there was to just average punters. That was the kind of circle that it kicked off in first. And we also, if we did get pairs to to players, I had no money, so I could afford maybe like half a dozen pairs a month. And we used to do photo shoots and get my mates to buy the pairs to go in the photo shoot. Like, and... Uh, like there was one player in particular, George Rose in um, Australia, and he was like the last rotund kind of player left and just a cracking bloke. And every tackle he played for Manly, his, he would get dacked. And the um, or stacked uh, with someone pull your pants down because oh, okay. and uh, and you'd see the pairs. And then the commentators got into it and started asking what pair he was going to be wearing. You know, the next week, and they show him the pairs, and um, uh, and that really helped us. And there was. Um, I mentioned before, like, n- not competing. So we decided not to compete in the swimwear arena. And then the fabric that we chose is, like, quite different to a Speedo fabric. And it's actually meant for, um, like, long-distance triathlon and that sort of thing. And it lasts pretty well in a pool, but it feels like it's almost got, like, a porcelain feel to it. And so, like, triathletes can wear it for doing, like, a full Ironman. No chafe. No chafe. No chafe. And so that's why I think now you see like rugby and like I see cr- cricketers like playing um, a whole day in it. And then they're also like just functionally, if you get in an ice bath or whatever at the end of the game, it's 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 easy. So there's a, a functional aspect um, to it as well as, you know, I thought when I met with Berwick's manager, if I have to pay $10,000 to every person to wear the product, that's going to be very expensive, even at, at, at scale. So I need to do this the other way and make a product that the players really like and want to wear. And so that's what I went about doing, and it took like five to ten years. <laughs> Dream scenario, though. <laughs> you, you think about the authenticity with it, and it's great having you in because I think it's such a great brand, and I know a little bit about the story, but for that authenticity – and you look at the people that are now engaged with it. And I think a large part of it is is how fun it is and how humorous it can be. It's almost like turned into a little bit of a community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of – and you see someone wearing a pair and it does feel like you kind of double look like, oh, I you know. Give the nod. Yeah, like a polite nod. And, you know, we say we're trying to free the free the thighs of the of the world and um, creating something in in our own way. Got a name drop, Artie Sevilla. I was on a call with him the other day. It was maybe six months ago or something. He was so funny, like just a super lovely human for mm. how terrifying he is on the field. And as he said, he goes, um, like, Linny Brew, like when I was growing up in New Zealand, like we wouldn't really wear them, eh? <laughs> we called them speedos. Like I wouldn't wear them, but then I put some on the other day. 
they're really comfy, eh? <laughs> so I love to play in them. I was like, oh, man. That's probably a terrible um, accent, but I was like, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Like someone like that appreciates the brand. Like C. Khaleesi came into our store with Etzebeth um, in Bondi a little while ago. Well, they're not ordinary rigs. Them three you just oh. mentioned there, Eben Etzebeth, my goodness so me. I gave, He'd look a million dollars in a pair. I gave Etzebeth, he loves our, our underwear, and I gave him a lift home in, and I've got a Subaru, which is like a Forest, which is like a pretty big car. So I gave him a lift to the hotel in, they were staying in Coogee and his knees were like, <laughs> like he took up three quarters of the, of the car and like lovely chap. I was like, what, what do you, what are you up to? Like, what do you like outside of um, rugby? And he's like, you know, love my family and stuff. And he's about to get, um, preparing to get married as mm-hmm. well. And he's like, but to tell you the truth, Ninny, I just really like my rugby eighth. Like, <laughs> That that's my main focus at the moment, and I'm like, fuck, that's a guy I'd want to play with. Like he's he is com- he is committed. Um, but then also, like all, all the South Africans, I find are pretty. Um, uh, they've got a bit of a wild streak oh, they in, have. in them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're um, kind of seem a bit serious. And I remember going to the Exeter dressing room one day, maybe like four years ago, and there was a big red-headed South African bloke. The beard. I, I, I don't Kurtzen. know. It might be him. And I was like, oh, I don't know if you'll be into him. And he's like, Lenny, my friend, give me the most outrageous pair you have, brother. <laughs> what is the most outrageous pair you have? I'll, I'll wear it everywhere. <laughs> I was like, whoa. That accent was better than Evans because Evans sounded a bit a crossover between Kiwi, South African, <laughs> and a little bit French as well. Yeah. But I'm- they are, like the South Africans. I've got a lot of time for South African mm. lads. Actually, me and Evan, have, I'm going to say it, we're friends. Like, we go back and uh, forth he'll... now on the Watt bike and stuff that we do. He's into his Watt bike. Yeah. Spent some time with him in Toulon. You know, he has this perception, which it is, on the rugby pitch. Monster, mm. uber-aggressive, but he's a sweetheart of a bloke. Yeah, lovely, lovely fellow. And I, I grew up in a area like for a chunk of my childhood that it was like mainly South African kids. Our first, I played soccer when I was like seven and our coach was a guy who was the hooker for Transvaal, which I think oh, is like a- That's proper. Yeah. His name was um, George Toledas. And so the parents had like dropped the kids off and we'd play like 20 minutes of soccer and then the parents would would leave, go and get a coffee or whatever. And then they go, okay, boys. And he put put a ball at one end. One of you needs to get to here and the rest of you tackle him. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, no, no, it's just kids flying everywhere. And when he coached the team, he insisted no other parent be on his sideline. And he would walk up and down the ground treating seven-year-olds as if it was like a, an Olympic final or something. But, um, yeah, I got a lot of time for, for, for South African people. Yeah. So with them, like you talk a sponsorship deal, if it's a Red Bull for Sia Khaleesi or an Asics for Ebenezer Beth, they're paying a lot of money. Mm. for that kind of exposure yeah but and they're loving I, I, well yeah I, we're like it's a it's a one that we're trying to like figure out how we make the leap from um athletes just wearing it and posting it because we're not at the stage where like we're going to pay adidas money it's not like it's not within our um realms but then a lot of the players want to do it so we're just trying to find like the commercial sweet spot there and then sometimes it's it's hard because like before we came here today, um, we were speaking with Jack Noel, and he's done all these pairs, and we owe him like a royalty for the pet, and he just refuses to take. Uh, he's just like, don't worry about it. And he's like, all right, donate all my 
royalties to the, I think it's called the Royal Lifesaving um, Services. And he's like, and then I'll use that to buy pairs to, so they can get even more money. And I'm like, mate, we'll donate, donate the pairs. So you get yeah. this like, yeah, there's some people who've popped up along the way, like um, Jack, Adam Ashley, Cooper, when he was in France and stuff, who've just like helped us so much. Like, um, But that's it, the brand you've built, and that goes back to it, this fun, energetic, and a community. You can hear the authenticity and the reasons why you're doing it, and I think that that's why people have latched on. I mean, as a chief smuggling officer, yeah. that's right. Chief smuggler. Chief, chief smuggler. smuggler, chief smuggler. To be sat in a car with Ebenezer Beth, Sia Khaleesi. Let's just say Ardis Taveo was in the boot as well, because that <laughs> sounds great. But that interaction... It'd be and, a good... Uh, yeah, it'd be a good good forward pack. But the people, like the Stoltman brothers, for example, I don't know what your deal is with them as well, but the collaborations that are happening here are now far beyond probably your expectations of where yeah. it was going to go. Yeah, and I think like part of it for me is... Like I don't have another plan. Like this is this is it, and so I'm trying to do it in a way or express through budgie uh, a way that you know I can spend time with people and um, that sort of believe what what we believe and think in similar ways. Um, I was like really lucky in my twenties to sp- spend most of my life with Aboriginal people, and that taught me that taught me a lot. Like uh, in Aboriginal languages, there's no word as please or thank you. Um, so there's like over 200 different Aboriginal languages around Australia and there's no word as please or thank you. And like what that kind of means is like, you've got a community and you just need to look after people. And if you do that, like it, it does come around. And so how that's kind of been expressed through Budgie. So like in our first five or six years, we raised the quarter million for charity, but like that was about equal to our combined losses over that period of time. And so I think people saw that. Um, community kind of nature. Um, and, and then I think the other thing was when we did send stuff to players, say, it wasn't like that transactional kind of thing, like, we'll give you this, can you do this? It was like, here's some pairs, we hope you love the brand, um, saw your game against so-and-so on the weekend, like, um, good luck in the semifinals, mm. like something, something like that, rather than here's five pairs, can you please do three posts, like, and so it's very slow then, like, because people would be like, oh, you've sent all this stuff, no one. But then eventually the people who do uh, believe in the brand start to come through. And, uh, yeah, that's what's sort of starting to happen. Well, we're in the green room just then with Matt Hansen, the Island Winger podcast would have gone out before this one. And saying that he wanted to meet you, so we went for a steak next door. <laughs> and I says, oh, I'm interviewing my mate Linny from Budgie Smoker. He said, what, as in, like, the budgie smugglers? I said, yeah, as in, like, the chief smuggler. Ah, that- I said, that's him. And he came, he said, oh, I want to meet him. Didn't he? You had a conversation with him. Like, yeah, it's yeah, great. and that, that, that's really cool as well. Like, for me, like, <laughs> it works the other way sometimes. Like, if people throw a shot at us, I'm like, that's like a personal barb against against me. But for the most part, like, everything's so positive that, um, yeah, it makes me enormously proud and, and you know, we're trying to, build something that that means something to people that that people care about it's not just me you know we've got a a a huge team all my family's involved i've run out of relatives to uh to to employ or to have a part of the business so you know my mum dad brother sister cousins like everyone's in everyone's involved we're sort of all in so 
I want to go back to the Aborigine conversation that you just brought up then. So I, I'm really intrigued <clears throat> by different cultures, especially when you think about Australia and everything's on the outside of the country, all the capital cities. Yeah. The capital city is Perth, Melbourne, and I've done the East Coast and been Brisbane and all these places. Yeah. It's really fascinated me about the vastness of Australia and what's in. And before COVID, I was meant to go and do a feature for Rugby Pass, yeah. the Rugby Explorer in Australia. And part of that was spending some time with Aborigine people yep. and looking into it and the research and just how they're built and the lifestyle. And it was just absolutely amazing. So just give me a little bit more insight into what that was like. And Curtly Bill from the Aborigine community as well. Yeah. He's a big Pussy Aboriginal Smuggler community. fan as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came Am I saying in. it right? Aborigine Am I, uh, or Aboriginal? I, I, Aboriginal people, yeah. Aboriginal people. probably the probably a, the simplest way to go so to where, go with. So, so like Aboriginal people, like so, like a short course, I guess. So it's the oldest continuing surviving culture in the world. So like over 40,000 years. Um, so one of the only or only race to make it through two ice ages. There's about 300 different Aboriginal groups from across Australia. So if you think of it like, like Europe, all those different groups have some like differing customs, differing languages, uh, but you know a lot of similarities as well. And then there's also Torres Strait Islander people. So they're like the islands off the northeast of Australia, and they're they're ethnically totally different and culturally quite different, and more the same or similar to people in Papua New Guinea. So that's the that's the rough breakdown. Um, it's a really wonderful um, culture. I think there's a lot ingrained in Australian culture. Like I was saying, how there's no word as please or thank you in Aboriginal languages. The way like Australian people would say that is, oh, it's swings and roundabouts. Like don't worry about it. So I think also just the remoteness of Australia and things like that. You learn to have some resourcefulness and a sense of humour, um, and a lot of that. It's very evident when you spend time in Aboriginal communities. And what's like the weather specifically? I'm, I, I'm stating the obvious here. So if they're living inland in these communities, are they tribes or communities? Uh, yeah, both. Yeah. Yeah. So how far inland and what kind of resources are they lacking in? So the whole, like today or? Yeah, it- I think, I mean, I imagine it's more, there's a, there's a lot more happening for them now and, and, and they're probably up to date with a lot of the stuff. But I mean, how rural is it out there? So actually, the majority of Aboriginal people live in like kind of major urban and regional mm. areas, but you wouldn't really notice it as much. So I think Sydney has the highest population, but it's like sixty thousand Aboriginal people out of a population of five or six million. Mm. So it's like one percent. So if you go to more regional areas, that changes. Say the Northern Territory, I think it's about thirty percent Indigenous people, and. Um, there's battle. There's battles there as well. Like there's some uh, in Central Australia at the moment. Some big problems with with drugs and alcohol. In Central Australia. In Central Australia, like Alice Alice Springs. Um, but at the same time, there's actually just like so many. It's hard because the media likes to portray like the the, the worst of the stories. There's so many positive stories. It's the highest um, rates of year 12 completion that we've ever had in Australia for, for Aboriginal people. So, And what's that score? Uh, that's that's uh, your A-levels, yeah, I guess. Yeah, A-levels, yeah. So there's actually a really strong generation coming through, but at the same time there's some some of the things that the the government or whatever has done to, to try and help, like there was the introduction of welfare in the 1970s in Australia. So before that a lot of Aboriginal people were paid less than, than um, Lord Aboriginal people. 
And then they introduced welfare, which was like well-meaning, but people started getting paid more to not work than to work, called like sit-down money. So Aboriginal people have been at the heart of regional Australia, you know, since, well, forever. Um, but, you know, that actually caused a lot of problems because then in the 70s, people, you know, it's called sit-down money. You get paid more money not to work than to work. So what was well-meaning mm. actually led, and if you're not working, like you have a purpose, drugs, alcohol, all these things start to become more prevalent than they were because it wasn't nearly as much of an option prior to that. I'm really interested to go back to Australia. I'd love to spend a bit more time. We've got the World Cup there in four years. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so de I definitely, if you're going to the World Cup, um, get to some regional and remote areas. Like You must go to the Northern Territory. Like It, it is fucking wild. You can do a helicopter pub crawl. I ain't doing a helicopter. Um, no, that ain't happening. Uh, I'm yeah, not doing it. Can I do it on my motorbike or not? Can I do it on a Harley? Uh, or is it too hot? You could hot? get around on your Harley, but to get to... So I, I didn't actually realise like how big it is out there. But on the map, Alice Springs is quite close to Uluru, which is the, the rock in central yeah, Australia. Yeah. So I um, went there with a girlfriend um, at the time and we arrived at like three and I was like, oh, well, we'll just pop out for the rock for a couple of nights. And I got to the airport and she was like, oh, just be careful. There's um, a lot of like wildlife and kangaroos and stuff on the road. I'm like, no, no dramas. And then I'm like, how far is it? Like 45 minutes? She's like, it's it's 500 kilometres. <laughs> I was like, something like that. So uh, Uluru from um, Sydney, you drive west, um, I think through Albury. It's kind of above Adelaide. It's about a 26-hour drive or something like that. Yeah, it's a long- Service stations on the way? Yeah, there's a, f a few. Um, yeah, I think you could get there in two- two days if you um put your if, foot down if you pushed it or it's about a two and a half hour flight i think it's it'd sort of be about two thousand kilometers and then from there it's another two thousand to perth which would be the next town over uh thirty thousand people australia is so big it's so pretty, big it's a similar size to europe or continental united mm. states yeah, yeah she's a big place but and then you mentioned before like half the people live in three cities like Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. So it's also, it's got kind of this aura of like the outback, but most people now live um, in big metropolitan. It's one of the more urbanized countries in the world. What am I seeing on the way? I'm doing this by the way. So whether or not it's in next year, two years or leading up to the World Cup, I'm going in a car, yeah. cross country, outback. Cowboy boots, cowboy hat. So I would, do you want to start cowboy or finish cowboy? <sighs> I'm going to start, I probably ain't going to finish cowboy, I'm going to be hanging by the end of it. So <laughs> let me start cowboy, great pictures, and then I'm going to be buggered by the end. Start, you would start cowboy. My um, my wife's uncle did this the other day. He he was like a, like a jackaroo, which they work on the farms in the Northern Territory. They're like huge farms. Like it'll take you like three days to drive across the farm like, like like 200 kilometers wide sort of thing like just like they they uh they muster the cattle the cattle on in helicopters because it's just it's just that big but you'd start in you'd start in darwin you go remote like kakadu um there's these beautiful gorges there where like you're in the kind of the desert there's shrubs and stuff and you climb up these rocks and you're like i bet there's going to be nothing there and then you get there and there's just this beautiful free-flowing 
um, waterfalls that you can swim in. And if you hang go on, up, hang on, hang on, wait, wait. So you can swim. We're not swimming in them. There's crocodiles. Is there? There's freshwater the- crocodiles. Oh, that's, oh, that's, oh gosh, I nearly fainted when you said it. <laughs> um, now nah, the freshwater crocodiles can't kill you. They're they're little, so you'll be all right. Uh, you you don't want to mess with the saltwater crocodiles. And sometimes if it's rained a lot, they might make it further uh, up the mountain. But generally, if you're climbing up the mountain, the, the crocodiles, they find it hard to get up there, right? So the so, way to test it is to taste if the water's fresh. And if it's salty, don't go in. If it's salty, I like, don't go in. And like around Darwin Harbour, you're having like a beautiful picnic and you, there's some pools and stuff <laughs> and there's fences because there's crocodiles like right up to the, oh, yeah. to the, to the fences. So... Yeah, so I definitely start in Kakadu. You can, if you like fishing, um, there's amazing like Barra and um, and like I, I did a tour there like 15 years ago or something. And there was blokes. We were on this like big boat, like a tourist boat for all the uh, uh, tourists. And then um, there is blokes like barefoot in these tiny tinnies. Just catching, like pulling in these mm. mad, um, mad barra. But I'm like, there's just crocs going by them that are three, four meters um, <sighs> big, and like sometimes it doesn't work out for them. So um, we lose. What do you mean? Well, that like someone will fall in and, and get taken. But it's like a once a year kind of, once every two year kind of thing. It's not. They're not just. Sometimes there's been a couple of times where they be down the main street, but not not. That's not very common. Keep going inland. Tell me more. Keep going inland. So you'd probably go like, fuck, it's a long way to Alice. Um, you'd probably go to around to Mount Isa, then come in through um, central or north Queensland, and then you're back into, uh, I think I heard a story about you jet skiing in in uh, Early Beach. Early Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like, there you're getting a good combination of it's incredibly beautiful it's uh, there's some more people. Like Darwin is one of the loosest, like wildest cities in Australia. I remember going there. I got in at like eleven or twelve on a Monday night, and I thought, oh, everything's going to be shut. Will the hotel be open? And I went down the main the main street, and it everything was just heaving because it's the only town within uh, like a 15, 20 hour drive, and so all the backpackers use that as a base. There's a big military base. Um, there's a big university or a decent sized university. So it's just like 24 7, pretty wild. Uh, and then you get to the East Coast and then just make your way down from Airlie Beach, uh, Fraser Island. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've heard of Fraser Island. So it's the biggest, the largest. You large- can stay, stay there overnight, can't you? You can. There's a resort on it. Um, it's the largest sand island in the world. I think it's about 160 Ks long or mm. something. It's a big island and the quickest changing of. Um, of like wild, not wildlife, but um, flora and fauna. So it goes from like beach to shrub to forest to a full rainforest in like 400 meters. And so you've got all the different wildlife through those um, through those um, phases. And then you come to this beautiful Smith Lake and it's like a beautiful clear water, fresh lake. There's a, a, a stream that you can like tube down and then you can drink the water straight from the stream. It's just Anything awesome. In there? No, nah, it's so clean that there's no uh, no fish. Why did you pause? Hey, you just paused when I said you just paused slightly when I asked. Is yeah, there anything the in there? Yeah, is there anything? There's nothing in that one. No, no. But my auntie lived there for like this in the seventies, um, and there's dingoes. Mm. 
they'll they'll they used to come and steal their stuff, and then no one swims at the beach because of the sharks. Like you won't see anyone surfing there. So, but most of the other beaches in Australia, there's very there's like Western Australia, there's a couple of shark attacks a year. Northern New South Wales, there's a couple, but Sydney. I used to say there's never the last death from a shark was in the 60s, but fortunately someone died. Um. Last yeah, year. I saw it on yeah. the news. That was in Sydney, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sydney's Sydney's pretty pretty safe. I do a swim each morning from not not every morning, but um, when I'm in in my hometown in Manly, from Manly to Shelley, and <laughs> I always said it's so safe. And a bloke got bitten by a shark the other day, but it was unlucky. His hand actually like went into the to the shark's kind of mouth. It was a small, smallest shark and it's oh bit him and, and he just bandied it up and he was back swimming like two days later. So. I, I just, I can't, I can't, I don't, yeah, I just don't get how you can do that. Can you see anything? Like you got goggles on or you just- Yeah, yeah, I wear these big goggles so you can see everything. There's heaps of fish and most of the sharks that we see are only this big. So. And you're not bothered if you see them sharks, you're not, there's no- yeah, Not if it's this big, no. And then most of them are like wobby gong, they're like reef sharks, so they kind of look- not particularly um not particularly threatening yeah i don't worry about it too too much but there's some places where it's more remote and you're on your own and there's there's bigger sharks and it does um play on your mind and i don't hang out there longer than i ha- i have to i had this thing about living in australia and it is the the wildlife that freaks me out and the spiders i don't i don't mind spiders but it's just have this thought of the kids playing by the beach and a saltwater crocodile comes out and grabs them. They are some scary things. Like they look like dinosaurs. It's, yeah. it's creating. Like now we live in the UK. I live in Edinburgh, and what we moan about is the the wind and the rain. <laughs> That's it. I love uh, like every uh, once a year there'll be like a little crocodile that gets onto the streets of Cairns or someone, and there'll be some bloke in like thongs like running along with like a shopping bag or something to try <laughs> and just like holding it while the uh, proper wildlife people come. But no, like I, I grew up in, in Sydney and it's a, it's a great city. Like, it's, I reckon it's a bit of a unicorn city to live in because the natural, like it's a big enough city that there's heaps of, um, you know, work and jobs and events and it's interesting enough, but like the, the natural, you know, you wake up, most of the time, the air's clean, the sky's blue. Uh, you can go fishing at any of the beaches, and you can you can eat what you catch. Like, which like in, you know, in a lot of big cities in Europe, isn't um, a possibility. So, it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty cool place to to grow up. But in saying that, I love. I spent four years here in London, and like definitely recommend that. Um, and then I'm moved across to Bordeaux now, so that's a pretty good city too. Yeah, it's brilliant. We'll come on to that. Just on the living in Australia, and I was chatting to my mate about it because it's been a long winter, it has, in the UK, in Scotland especially, and when the sky is blue, it doesn't need to be sunny, just needs to be blue. Like, you feel better. Like, your mood is better, your mental health is better. I was chatting to my mate who lives in Australia. I was like, how good is it? And he said that <clears throat> but mental health in men in Australia is so high and I was like, as in terms of what I said, it's like they've, there's a, a crisis going on in Australia We're with men's mental health at the minute. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. Which I was like, well, you've got the outdoors, you've got the good food, the sun shining virtually all the time. So there is this kind of fake idea, I suppose, that weather and mood and these things have have a, a, a real effect on people. But Australia yeah, is a bit of a crisis, isn't it? It's got... Um 
I know that we have one of the highest rates of youth male suicide. Yes, that was the stat that I saw, Lenny. I didn't want to say it because I wasn't sure. In the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I don't know um, why that is. Maybe it's too good. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely um, an issue that's kind of been happening for for a long time. So I don't know what it is like if we can't express ourselves or use of drugs and alcohol is like particularly high like anecdotally doesn't look like crazily different to the uk but um yeah we do have like really high and it's there seems to be like pockets like the central coast which is an hour and a bit north of sydney that's like the highest, like one of the highest in the world. Um, unfortunately, a lot of Aboriginal communities, it's really high as well. So I know it's pretty dark. It was an interesting take. Because yeah, because we talking- like you know, employment levels and stuff are pretty good. Social cohesion is pretty, pretty good. Uh, it's not without issues, but like it is high, and in some pockets, it's just like through the roof. Yeah, mm, I, I think I might have seen the stat around. Male suicide in Australia. See, we even struggle to talk about it. You can't even say the words, can you? Like, but I think Movember, and they've they were spawned from Australia. Movember were as well, weren't they? Yeah, that's an Australian um, brand, if you want to call um, it, but it's brand a charity. or concept or fundraising yeah. um, group that's been like incredibly um, successful in that space. And there's definitely been quite a lot. Like, the conversations changed a lot. I think here as well. Um, it's definitely happening as well that people are talking about it more so I, I don't know what the stats like for the last five years are say compared to 15 years ago but definitely uh there was a like a, a strong period there where those rates were, were crazy in australia yeah crazy sorry to bring the tone down but look you know we should nah. be able, we should be able to talk about it the, nah, this nah, thing I is think it's, it's um i think it's good like well, it's our demographic. It's our age group, isn't it? Yeah, the fact yeah. That like we don't talk about these I, things. But when I look at Budgie Smuggler and I look at the energy, and you think about the people involved in that community, yeah. it would go hand in hand with the struggles, like it just would, and the type of characters that are involved in them circles, the rugby clubs, the Jack the Lads. The yeah, ones and that I don't think speak. it's important we we kind of can talk about these things. Like I had a really tough year um, last year. Like a few different things happened at the one time and i don't think it was any one thing in my life that was i haven't really talked about this sort of before but um any one thing in my life that uh, on its own was bad but there was like a few things i mentioned to you before that i had a really this is sound funny but a really badly infected finger i was on antibiotics for about a month and um, I went into the doctor like the third time to kind of pop it. And she was like, mate, you need to go straight to hospital. So I went to hospital and they're like, mate, it's been going on for a month. So they ripped my fingernail off um, and then they put me on a drip, like an uh, antibiotic drip for three, two or three days. Well, how bad so, was it? Like, how bad was it for them to rip your fingernail off and put you on a drip? My finger looked like a golf ball. Okay. <laughs> how did you do it? Uh, this is embarrassing. I was biting my nails, which are- uh, Stress. Stress. That's the start. It this was is the, the start. Of it, it was the stress. It was the stress. So, um, so that happened. I remember like a week, three or four days after that, my guts were. My wife had told me like, take probiotic. You need to do all this stuff to protect your gut health. I said, I've got a gut of steel. Like nothing can break my gut. <laughs> the IV drip broke my gut. I was terrible. Like I'd have to 
like shit ten, eight, ten times a day. I remember one time I was just at the office and my sister asked me like a simple question, like, what are you up to for the weekend? I was like, I was like, I couldn't answer. I was like, just about to cry. And so something physically happened to me there, which like took a while to mend. Um, I just had a kid. That was amazing. But then he was sort of like maybe becoming eight, nine months. And there's a big shift, like people out there who are new parents or fathers, like when they start to need your attention and stuff mm. a lot. And so that was just a factor in my life. We had the wettest period ever in the history of the east coast of Australia. Like, so business wise, it started like things started to, everything had grown like 30%, 50%. And so all my budgeting and stuff was based on that. We bought a warehouse and then so I outlaid a lot of money on that. Um, and when we went to pay for it, the bank goes uh, two weeks before, like, sorry, we need a million, another million dollars. <laughs> I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we want a million, another million cash. And I'm like, well, that's basically everything that I've... Um, that I've got and they're like, yeah, yeah well, we want more security because the valuations come in less. Mm. And so no one thing was like probably would have got me, but I was rattled, Jim. Like I was fucking, I was fucking rattled. And then every day I'd wake up, torrential rain, people like Sydney flooded five times. It's probably flooded five times in my life. And then, you know, and then you're like, and then I'm feeling bad because I'm like, fuck, these people are losing their homes. Um, I'm okay. But like I'm about to run out of money, and, and my my mum is sort of my accountant, and dad sat us down, and they're like, "Mate, if this keeps going, you're gonna you're gonna lose, you're gonna be down a million dollars." And like they were like, "We could help you like a bit, but like maybe a hundred or two, we can't give you a million dollars, so you're gonna need to fix this situation um, pretty quick." And the combination of things, like I was checking the sales like five times a day, like mm. it's not healthy. Checking my bank account like three or four times a day, like I was. It was a battle and uh, I wasn't depressed or anything like that, but just like a constant um, anxiousness or anxiety. And so even though I could probably hold it together to put on like a bit of a brave face, like I, I was I was struggling for a solid. And I think some of the health things, family stuff, like um, probably like all added up through that period. And then we would just Kind of, I had to make some changes. I hadn't really run Budgie Smuggler like a business. It was um, like I just give, assume that we're going to grow 30% every year, give people pay right as much as I could, right? Like It was um, a venture. It was a venture. Um, it was an expensive hobby for a long time was how my friends like to describe it. But, um, but yeah, we, we, we had a pretty rough, pretty rough year. And like we had to make some changes, unfortunately, like um, our first ever redundancy and like things like that took a mental toll. Um, and yeah, like fortunately through like just a combination of sort of luck and hard work, things started to things started to turn and we made enough changes that by the skin of our teeth got through last summer. And then now like I still don't feel like I am like a hundred percent back to like full full health like full linny full full linny and like I, I don't know maybe i'm taking a bit on like i'm living in a foreign country which i love um and there's 5900 wineries within and out like it life's pretty fucking good right but um you know and there's like probably some business stresses 
And then our kids, he's two now. He got another baby on the way. So just some things like you don't have like sleep like I used to. So maybe the recovery and stuff's good. But if I was like at 40 or 50% uh, Lenny, I'm feeling it like 85, 90. Like life's good, but not quite as um, I'm still not like, uh, yeah, that gut of steel or whatever. It's like nothing could like phase me before. And now like a couple of times I'm like, oh, fuck, like that's getting me upset or I'm worried about that. Where I, before I would, you, you, like, it was like almost nothing could phase me. Now it's um, I can get rattled a little bit easier, but I, th- I think I'm uh, coming through it, like just basic stuff, looking after my health and, and that a bit better. You know, just like if you can just do simple things like get off the piss, get up and exercise each day. Um, eat well, like they, it sounds simple, easiest day or the hardest day to start is like, you know, that first day. Mm. Um, then I've got a lot more capacity. And sometimes I think maybe I've just got to come to terms with like life's different. You got a kid, you got this, you can't go and have 10 beers two, three nights a week. <laughs> you know, like, mm. How old got, are you now? I am, I just turned 38. Yeah, and that, I mean, it is a, it's a tough age. Um, and an age thing maybe as well. Like, yeah, but uh, I think- when you're in this age group, oh, I've just turned 40 and you, I've got four kids, but you're trying to manage and you're wow. trying to balance and then you're hard on yourself the whole time. You, you said you function at 85%. I think that's a that's a bloody good... You, you're never going to be at 100%. I think yeah. understanding that, and I've got to the point now, and this transition, I'll have a word, out of rugby, Yeah, I think back, I retired at 34, so just over five years ago. I look at how easy my life was. I had two children, and I think kids are the hardest thing. Yeah. I think as a man as well, the responsibility that you have, and a woman, obviously. Yeah. But as a man, when you are purpose-led, um, adrenaline, testosterone-fueled, if you're an alpha male, not that if you're not an alpha, then you wouldn't feel these same things. Mm. But then when you get into the line of business or performance or, like in my case, transition out of a, a career into – no other career yeah i've fallen into the media then pressures like they're heavy like they they can weigh heavy and i do think that kids and in fact i not even think i know that kids are a huge part of that because of the responsibility that you have you're also battling the whole time with yourself about how much time you want to spend with your kids you need to spend too much time oh i've spent too much time with them i need to spend more time on my business or growing my podcast or growing budgie smuggler yeah. oh my gosh I'm, I'm thinking about work when i'm at home so you're constantly putting pressure on yourself all the time yeah. and then trying to find that balance and that peace within yourself is really difficult because if well we're both sat here not saying that we are elon musk and bloody joe rogan yeah but we're trying to make something of ourselves by pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and that has a stress yeah yeah on top of it and that's it i am trying to like push it at a at a firm pace because if you know budgie can grow like it provides like opportunities for our team like if it gets stagnant and it again like I don't have a plan B so this this one's got to but that's why it will got, work got to work that's why it will because you don't have a plan B I think so like um uh like so many of the decisions that we've made along the way like we so I haven't taken on any investment like ever and I think part of it was cuz like it might weaken you a little bit, you know, if you've got like a house and like you're pretty set. Um, so I like that there's still a, that there's still a grind. Um, and we're probably not going to grow five or 10 times in two or three years, 
But if that takes us five or six or seven years, like that, that's okay. Like I, I, I enjoy that. I kind of enjoy a little bit like it's a bit ridiculous, you know, like that this, uh, you know, brand selling uh, swimwear that no one was really wearing is like kind of um, and gets voted the most like disliked item of clothing. Hated, I believe, was the word um, in the UK. Can can have a business here in the in the UK, in France, and these different places, and um, loving meeting people and stuff along the way. Like, there's a great social aspect to it for me. But I think we're at a scale now. Like, we sell a pair of smugglers every two minutes, um, and so that's at a volume now where it's like I've got a um, run it as a, a bit more of a business and not like before I was running it as a hobby and we nearly got into trouble where the whole fucking thing collapsed and living in that emergency flight or flight mode. So just for me trying to find that uh, gear where it's like we're working hard to, to go forward um, but also so that I don't break um, or that the business doesn't break. Yeah, of that feeling of feeling uncomfortable can sometimes be a nice place mm. because that does drive you. And I've felt very uncomfortable in my life yeah. before, very uncomfortable. And now I feel comfortable and I challenge myself all the time because I am more comfortable than I've ever been. Yeah, And it's not like sometimes it's not like I don't need to get out of bed uh, to drive from the Cotswolds to Saracens in my last year while I was transitioning at half five in the morning. Yeah, uh, I'm not doing five jobs like I was in my last year at Saracens because I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm more comfortable now than I've ever been and sometimes I battle with that. Yeah. I think um, on the comfort thing, like I heard you talking the other day about um, the different like generations of like Mm. families and that and I was like, I've just like been very fortunate that my mum had, you know, I'd say fairly, she's from Poland. Um, She grew up in a house like an, or in a in a room on the outskirts of Warsaw, like they had no toilet, uh, so you had to go outside. It was minus twenty. I think now she says it's minus fifty. Like it's getting ten <laughs> degrees hotter. And I, I had a shower the um, the other day, and I'm at this Airbnb in in Bordeaux in France. And I get out, and I, uh, there was a fucking heated towel rack, and I don't have one of them. I, I put this on. I was like, <laughs> how good is my life? <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Like. I have the most like a fucking heated towel rack. Like, whoa! Like my life is amazing. So I think, um, I think, yeah, I, I'm in, in a position of like comfort in, in in some some respects. And then there's just this like I don't know, like drive that you want things to keep progressing. And I get, um, uh, don't know, if impatient is the word, but like I feel this like pressing need to 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 keep trying to move things forward. And if it's not happening, it the right pace there is a bit of like uh inbuilt uh, anxiety or frustration that comes in and then yeah when you add in the family element like if you can spend time with your kid or kids and have a clear mind it is just the most amazing experience like it's like what life should be exactly but it's the fucking opposite if you're like not present. It's called. not not present, or like your kids working up at at three a.m. in the morning. You do, and you're like, "Fuck, I've got this much on." Like, it it spirals on you on the other way. So I, I haven't quite found the like the the sweet spot there where I can um a- allocate my time. Like it sounds a bit 
functional, transactional, so that like I can be a, a good dad and a good partner, and then also have the, the mental like sharpness when I'm at budgie, budgie as well. Yeah, I think that's with life at the minute where there are these struggles because I don't think it's necessarily about having a number of things or not having a purpose. I've come to the point now where I genuinely feel like the phone and social media and that constant stimulation and I've tried and error because I'm in a personal development phase at the minute. I'm unapologetic about that. I, I'm trying to find out what my direction is and how the balance and how my life balance in them spaces works for me mm. and i have come to the fact now and it is obvious because everyone speaks about it but being on the phone before bed do you um do you ever bring your phone to the toilet with you yes that's that's when i knew i had a problem mm. like if you're bringing anyone out there if you're bringing that that's your thinking time mm. that is your thinking but th- that used to be a sacred space where you could go and think and now I wouldn't be surprised if most people listening bringing their phone to that. I was at a cafe this morning and just looking at people having lunch but on their phones and I'm like, it we're losing the ability to be to be bored or lost in thought. And um, to look up. To look up, yeah. And fuck like I just feel like the engineers at Google and Facebook and whatever, they they're like so much smarter than 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 my ability. So I've had to take most of uh, I'm not I'm not terrible. I, I've I've never had an Instagram or a Twitter account, um, so that helps. But I do have the budgie one on my phone, and sometimes I, I pepper people after a few beers, <laughs> just treating it like a personal <laughs> commentary mm. on a game going on or something. But um, I and I also noticed that if my screen time is the higher it is, like the more anxious, like actually physically, my chest feels tight, mm. and I think part of that's like the physical. Um, holding of the phone. But in our warehouse, as an example, the average screen time is about eight, eight and a half hours. And some of them are doing an eight-hour shift. So I don't know exactly. How, how do you know this? Have you asked them to share screen time? I just, like, not a, not not like a, some sort of military thing where they got to show us. Just a bit of a banter to open up the just phone. Just a bit of banter. And, like, I think everything, you know, TikTok's the, um, where they're spending 80% of their time. Um and it's, I like TikTok as a platform. It has good things on there, but a lot of it is trash. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's a form of entertainment, but like high on passing time without satisfying um, uh, satisfying you. I think like well, you think about if you um, go on there, you come away from it. So say you're in bed the night before and you're flicking on your phone. When you wake up in the morning, are you at what point, unless you've seen something horrible or a lion decapitating a gazelle, or you've seen something like that pop up, or these, I watch these fight videos, which are quite good actually. They're quite funny. Some of them are pretty gnarly, but you're not waking up in the morning thinking, right, that was worth it. Me lying in bed last night, flicking on my phone mindlessly. Yeah. I've gained anything at all. No, so I've had to, like, yeah, just physically just not, not have them. And then the barrier to, the downloading them is, is too high because, yeah, I've never woken up a day in my life and gone, oh, geez, I wish I spent three hours on TikTok today. So I, I'm going the other way. I want to try and get rid of uh, <laughs> I'd rather I'd like to not even have like an email, like just be good if you could just pick up the phone and call. So, 
trying to find the right balance. But uh, the the whole like comparing people on um, uh, on Instagram sort of thing. Like no one posts pictures of themselves. Just like here's me at a public toilet. <laughs> like it's the, like everything's got to be amazing. Mm. Living my best life. Like no one. Um, post living my most average life or if they do it's at the, the total end of the spectrum where it's like oh, I am breaking down and so it's just this distorted um, perception and uh, you know maybe in 5, 10, 20, 30 years we'll figure it out but the technology is way ahead of our ability to to deal with it or any regulation there is no regulation like, it's pretty funny like the tech guys are like we'll regulate it <laughs> oh it's, it's crazy but you're absolutely I cannot believe that kids are open to looking at some of these videos on TikTok. And my kids go on, they're not on TikTok, categorically not. But I looked over my 12-year-old lad's shoulder, he's on Snapchat, and he's pulling funny faces and sending it. But his head's down constantly. Has, I'm like, Jersey, put your head back. Yeah. Put your shoulders back. Look up. So we have this thing, like there's no phones ever at the dinner table. The phones are gone. I say, I mean, this is part of my business, isn't it? So part of it is publishing stuff. There's my excuse. But at 8 o'clock, they're gone, none in bed. And in the morning, like me and my wife alternate training. So before we've been on the phone, and we try and show the kids, like instead of telling them the whole time, you have to show them that you're doing it as well. Yeah. If I'm making excuses that, oh, you know, I've got my head down on the phone, on the sofa, and it's so easily done, but it is a, there's a it's a cultural shift yeah, no, for, we, for humanity and society. It's crazy. We do a similar thing, like so... 8, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. phones off, so we uh, put it physically, like not in our rooms. And then people are like, "Oh, but you need an alarm clock." It's like you can buy an alarm clock, or we mm. just set the alarm and it's out of the room. And when you wake up in the morning, you go out and get it. But yeah, try to build some habits where you're not um, the temptation. It's like, yeah, just like you physically put the barrier there. It it, it helps, and that's where life is too easy I, I, across the board. Yes, there are struggles, but. Stuff like that, as in, it's too easy. Mm. It's too easy to keep picking your phone up, put it down. Where's my phone? I need it for this. I need it for that. I need the alarm clock. I need to know the time. I've got important messages coming through emails. Yeah, I, I'm telling you now. I've done it before. I've left my phone at home for three days, or at the weekend. How, how did you feel at the end? It, weird, and uh, this is me being completely honest at the beginning. Very weird. Constantly, yeah, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... even when I was in the car, like I'd be patting my pockets. I have no idea why, and it takes. I'd say half a day to a day, and then once you get through that, and again, it is the obvious thing. If you can do it for two or three days, it feels unbelievable. And yeah. I know, again, it's easier said than done, but people should give it a go. And training. I, I'd say that training's a number one thing for, uh, again, stating the obvious, but mental health. Uh, I, I'm chatting to Goody about this. Goody's trying to lose a bit of weight <laughs> at the he, minute. How's he doing? Yeah, not great. Not great. But he's, he can operate at a certain level. And I'm just like, mate, you need to – Yeah. at some point, you've got to – And like Sam, I went – Go I, there. I went to the gym um, just before here tonight, if you can't tell. And, okay. uh And every, like two-thirds of the people were on their phones in mm. the gym. And I was going to bring my phone in. I'm like – and listen to a podcast and I was like – no, nah, like I was on a flight this morning listening to one. Like, just leave your phone in the. That's great yeah. mental resilience that you can do that because uh, training with no music or headphones is quite hard as well. But that's it's a good thing to do. I was like, I had an idea, and then you're like, oh, I need to write it down. You're like, mate, just you'll be able to remember it. Mm. I fucking totally forgot them. But yeah. <laughs> but training is a big one. Like that's for me. And my wife's like, why are you training like that? Like you don't need to do that. And I was like, that's the thing. I do. 
Yeah. I need to hammer myself for 20 minutes, half an hour. And off the back of that, my clarity and the haze disappears. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I am feeling like anxiety, whatever's getting on top of me, and it's just, I just quit, quit the piss totally and get up and train, give that a go for four or five days. Number one cure, right? And then after like two or three days, I'm like, Oh no, Lindy's coming back. You can, <laughs> He's thirsty. You can deal with this. It's Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Pub anyone? But it's fine. You can have that balance. But if you can, if you can roll out of bed on a Monday and just hammer yourself. Yeah. And put yourself in a bit of a hole. I'm telling you now, it's you feel amazing. Couldn't agree more. Um, France. So you now. Have you t- is this a comfort blanket or is this? business decision no this is like probably the opposite this is kind of a little bit of a keep pushing yourself personal development jim hamilton kind of thing mm. like uh it's kind of be easy for us to stay in um in in manly in sydney where we live but it's like let let's keep pushing the boat out and developing so my wife and i like we've chucked ourselves into french school trying to learn um the language um and then budgie smuggler goes pretty pretty well in france we've been based in the uk we've had an office here for six odd years seven years maybe um but 40 percent of it's going into into france so and then like since brexit it's become a bit of a fuck stick for shipping um duties all of that stuff so it's reached a scale now where yeah i've been back like building shells building desks we've just got a got a lease and we're opening a a French-based website on the fourth of June, and and you're going to base yourself there. I mean, the World Cup's there. That's is that an oh, opportunity or so not? Mad sore point. So not a sore point, but um, that was the original plan. And then um, my wife and I said, "Oh, we'll start trying for a baby." And uh, we're very lucky. We've got a second baby on the way that's uh, due on the first game of the World Cup. Um, so we'll be going back to Australia um for that and uh, for the baby for the baby and then we'll um uh so i'm spending sort of four months in france to get it set up this year and then i'll be back i hope uh for another four or five months next year to really you know like for me uh there's a saying you can't get milk from a cow by sending an email and it's like you can't do everything by remote control you need to or or uh, online you need to go and meet with people you need to um to live in a place to live here in london and travel around the uk to to now live in france and so the south south and southwest of france kind of rugby areas are our um most popular areas so we're set up in bordeaux because it's like two hour train to paris two hours to toulouse two hours to Biarritz, which are the sort of main key kind of smuggling areas for us um, and then it's like, it's a good life experience as well, right? Like it'd be easy to do it from, from Sydney where we know everything and things are monotonous. But I think my, my wife Liz and I like pretty keen to just try and keep accumulating experiences. I wrote, uh, I wrote to Matt Giddo's wife, Bianca before I was like, oh, we're having, um, where, what about like having a baby in France? And she was like, mate, just get on the plane. It's amazing. <laughs> get the fuck there so so everyone was super encouraging adam um ashley cooper i mentioned before played in bordeaux is like mate here's a triangle like live somewhere there and just trust me go and do it so um that's what we've done we've been there two two months the people in bordeaux like it is it's so it's really friendly place because it's a mid-sized city i think like 
the city itself maybe uh, three or 400,000. The broader area is like a million. So there's heaps to do, but it's at a scale where people you can get to know people at the bars and cafes and stuff like that. So uh, we, are, we are loving it. Yeah. I mean, if you can make it in France, we were talking about this with all the administrative administrative there we go uh challenges you can make it anywhere yeah i was saying before like one of the first rules for us is like don't compete so there's not a lot of most australian swimwear brands try and or clothing brands the targets the the u.s and so we're just going a different route i like being a little bit i don't know um not contrarian but just finding the path that works for us and at budgie we always want to look after the people that look after us and like we had the first French event uh, for ordinary rig, it was called Monsieur Ordinaire, and like the Mister Ordinary. Yeah, there Jim. we go. I know. It took me a second just Parler to pick le up. Français. So, um, bien moi. so the entrance in that were just out of this world. So our, <laughs> the first, so we had a guy Gibbo who's been working with us, Guillaume, um, for a couple of years, who's been been great. And our next hire, it's like, do we? Hire someone with like experience running an online business in marketing, such as like, how about Monsieur Denaire? So, uh, Nicola, he's our second um, employee there. So, it's just the two boys uh, and myself. My brother's coming across from Australia on Thursday to help set up the website. And then, yeah, a week and a bit after that, off we, um, off we go. And like, yeah, I sense there that it's a place that they really get Budgie Smuggler and the ethos and they're really up for a up for a good time so i I think it's i'm pretty hopeful i definitely take off i can see it i can feel your energy in here today and the (laughs) smile on your face for sure before you go yeah i'm going to put you on the spot here so top three smugglers or smugglettes that you've got in in the family where you're like that is so cool either that they're wearing the budgies or that they're part of the community in the family you mentioned jack knowles you can't have him but that's pretty cool okay his story yeah, Jack Jack Knoll's amazing. Um, so, oh, funny story. Well, okay, so seeing it pop up, Lewis Hamilton buying them for for his teammates uh, on like the last season of Drive to Survive, that was pretty cool. Even though I'm Australian and I should only support Australian, cri- Australian cricket, which I do, um, Stokes, when he scored the 135 and Headingley was, I think it was Headingley, was wearing um, smugglers. So, like, I was like, fuck, like, it's cool, but, geez, it hurt me on the time. And talk about anxiety, like, me watching the Australian, like, national teams playing sport, I am just, my blood pressure's out of, out of control. But that was a tough day, but, but, a, but a beautiful one. And then we got an order from the royal family for Christmas, um, which was customs, um, which, in, like, which was pretty – pretty funny that like come on you the, can share it i can the, see you holding the, back what was it what did they order the, uh smugglers for kate or not n- uh i think maybe but or I, Zara. Think, I think it might have been customs it was custom swimwear so like about a third of what we sell is custom swimwear i think it was mike's head on <laughs> on pairs and then i um and then george is here with us today at the studio i, I, I called him up and i'm like what did what did you um what did you charge him and he goes, oh, mate, it's the royal, it's the royal family. We we didn't charge them anything. I was like, what the? I got, mate, have you seen their houses? Yeah, richest family. <laughs> have, have you seen their houses? in the world. 
I'm like, oh, mate. But anyway, that, to be fair to them, they didn't ask for any discounts and they, they offered to pay it. He was like, no. I was like, all right, we'll um, we'll let it go. Hopefully, they'll shop again um, with us next year. But yeah, I think probably what I like about that is like it's very different, like Formula One, the Royal Family, cricket. They, they're all different like communities. And so maybe what I love about it is that people from all those different backgrounds are embracing it in their own way and finding some some ownership of it. So um, that that's just something that gives me a lot of um, lot of joy. Mate, it's brilliant. I give a shout out then to your website and social medias before because I think it's a brilliant brand. I've, I've said that to be a, a small part of the Budgie Smuggler family is brilliant. Makes people mate. laugh, smile. The community that you've built, the authenticity around it. Give a shout out to no, uh, budgiesmuggleruk.com is probably the the best one for your audience. And sign up to the mailing list because when there's new stuff coming, you'll you'll get it first. We got some followers in Australia as well, but they know about Budgie Smugglers. It's the OG, isn't it? It's I, the heartbeat. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, we're we're a bit more established there, but it's um, you know, we're the gift the royal family gives for Christmas. So, you know, maybe we've got a future here as well. I reckon we're going to see Prince William and Kate on a boat in Marseille wearing a pair of budgie smugglers with Tinter's head on. <laughs> that would be pretty. I know. That would, uh, that would, I think it would send things like, it would send the media going It nuts. would, yeah. yeah. Let's make it so happen. get his face on your... Yeah, yeah, let's do that. William, he's a big listener <laughs> of the show. Kate definitely listens. I know Tinter's does. Big shout out to you. Uh, Lenny, class, mate. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Jim. Really appreciate it. And... Um, Keep smuggling. Do it again in the future. Keep smuggling. Keep smuggling. That's the one. Cheers, mate.